0: good evening everyone Whereas my 15 year old son would say how are yous that's his that's his standard greeting that's a great song uh, how deep the father's love such a powerful song it's kind of like i need to like stop for a few seconds after that but um it's great to have you here tonight hope you're excited to be here and i think that uh uh, sometimes we can take it for granted that people come to church to worship and it's an aw- actually an awesome thing. And so you can pat yourself on the back or you can say to the person next to you maybe, it's great to have you here tonight. Why don't you do that? So much enthusiasm. There we go. Very good. Excellent. Uh, for those who are... Um, Uh, New here or visiting, my name's Mark, I'm one of the pastors here, um, and it is great to see you here. Uh, The sermon I'm preaching tonight is called, Why This Waste of Perfume? And um, uh, I'm doing a series uh, from Mark's Gospel called Kingdom Questions, or I'm not doing the series, we're doing a series called Kingdom Questions, and um, we're working through Mark's Gospel, the last bit of it, which is actually in the last week of Jesus uh, life and ministry on earth in the lead up to uh, easter and to jesus death on the cross and resurrection after that and we're, we're looking at questions because questions reveal truth and uh we're looking at key questions and some of the questions that we looked at are really big questions and so some of the questions have been like uh, who do you say i am it's a pretty big question when jesus says to peter who do you say i am and there's one coming up i think next week maybe is are you the messiah and then who can forgive sins but god alone that's a pretty big question and then jesus on the cross cries out with this question my god my god why have you forsaken me that's a really big question but this question is why this waste of perfume right it doesn't quite doesn't quite pitch at the same level, but I happen to think it's a significant question. Strangely enough, it is a question that I have asked um, myself. And the reason I've asked that question is because um, my mum, who's awesome and lovely, and very, very lovely, generous uh, person, got into, I guess, a, a habit or a practice of giving me and my brothers-in-laws um, bottles of aftershave for Christmas. So she did this one year, and was like, "Okay, great. I've got some aftershave, and I don't. I'm not a big wearer of aftershave. Like, it's got to be a significant event, like a wedding or something. That's the sort of level where I'm actually going to apply aftershave. And um, so, I've probably gone through like maybe one percent of it after twelve months, and then I get another bottle. And next year comes around, I've probably gone through two percent of the first bottle. I get another bottle. Next year comes around, I get another another bottle, and I'm thinking I've got to have a conversation here with my brother's in law, say so like." Guys, do you are you using your aftershave? They're like, no, not at all. Like my brother-in-law's a farmer, right? Like you know, before he gets out on the tractor, you know, he's not putting on the old Chanel, and which um, was one of the one of the bottles that I got. And anyway, um, so we we said to my mum, you know, maybe. Maybe some other gift, maybe, you know, uh, a slightly larger bottle, something from the Barossa, perhaps, or something like that. And uh, she has listened, and that's what we get now, which is wonderful. Anyway, um, but I think this question, and I, I think this passage is really, um, there's something really amazing in here. To be honest, I looked at this earlier in the week, and I, I was just struggling like sometimes as a preacher you read a passage and you're just like it's on like you're just like writing notes you're just excited and there's times when it's actually hard and i'd read it uh, monday on a tuesday i'd, I'd spent some time thinking about it i'd done a bit of reading about it nothing much was happening so thursday morning's my sermon writing day i'm there i'm trying to engage with this read some more commentaries and and different how different people have engaged with it and then it started to just like just started to get then really excited about it and feel there was so much in this passage. And I feel like there's something about that, that actually when we're willing to take the time to actually sit with a passage or take time to pray, it it sometimes isn't actually easy to start with. You don't just necessarily read your Bible and it's like, wow, inspirational and it's awesome. But actually, if you actually sit with it a while, then something rich starts to come out of that. And this passage is depending on how we understand it is probably about Mary who was someone who actually loved to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching just loved to sit there and if this is about Mary then the story of Mary and Martha is the Mary we're talking about where where Jesus came into the house and Martha was rushing around doing all this stuff and Mary's just sitting there just at the feet of Jesus and 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 Martha's goes like what are you doing you know can you tell Uh, jesus can you can't you see that there's like mary's just doing nothing and just like can you tell her to like help me out and jesus is like no mary's chosen the better part there's something powerful we we learn when we're willing to take the time to dwell and be with god so let me read this passage and then we'll get into it mark chapter 14 verse 1 to 11 now the passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were uh, saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always, uh, you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have Me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over and here's the really cool thing just right up front is that two thousand years later on the other side of the world in a part of the of the world where the roman you know world didn't even know it even existed two thousand years ago we are hearing this woman's story today as it says in scripture we will so uh, let me pray and and uh, and then we'll get into this heavenly father i want to pray that through this scripture you will speak by your holy spirit that every person who's come in here, I believe, has come in here for a reason, and you want to speak something of your word, particularly to their heart and to their life and to their situation uh, this evening. And so, I pray that you'll do that by your Spirit in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, before I want to get into before I get into the passage, I want to do something that I find quite found quite interesting to explore, and hopefully you will too. I want to kind of understand. Uh, something around scriptural interpretation or a textual issue with this passage. Every gospel contains a story of Jesus being anointed with perfume by a woman. But three of the four gospels have differences. So, I put together a little chart to try to understand this. And if we can bring that up now, because the question is, how many times was Jesus anointed with perfume? And different theologians and different people will have different understandings of this based on how they interpret scripture so what we can see is that matthew and mark are, are, are practically identical they all the key details are exactly the same and we we understand from that that mark's gospel was written earliest and that matthew would have had mark's gospel and uh used that as a basis for what he wrote so those details are exactly the same in matthew and mark if we um if we look at Luke's gospel, uh, we, we we have a woman uh, who anoints Jesus with an alabaster jar of perfume. It sounds a whole lot like uh, Matthew and Mark. Um, she anoints his feet rather than his head. Although in Mark it says Jesus says um, she anointed my my body, um, hinting at it's more than just his his head. But interestingly, uh, the location is very different. It's in Galilee, like 150 kilometers away, in a Pharisee's house. Simon the leper definitely wouldn't have been a Pharisee. And it was set about two years before Jesus' death, rather than uh, two days. Very, very different key detail there. But it still sounds kind of similar. And John's gospel sounds even more similar. It happened in that week before Jesus' uh, death, but six days before. In Bethany, doesn't say whose house, again perfume, it names this woman as Mary. She anoints his feet. So the question is, how many times was Jesus anointed by a woman with perfume? Some people would say, well, it's one time. And Luke, who did his research about 60 years after Jesus, uh, probably got it, got it wrong. And John got it very slightly wrong. And others would say, no, no, the Luke detail is so distinctly different. And, and the story actually sounds quite distinctly different when you read it. I would understand the Luke story is happening quite separately. Um but, uh, but the John story and the Matthew story, like, what's the likelihood that within four days, in Bethany, a woman pours out a year's worth of per- perfume on Jesus um, in... in um, yeah, and it's kind of so, so very similar. That would seem to be unlikely. But, uh, like, there's this difference between the infallibility of the Bible in, inerrancy and how you understand the word inerrancy. So, infallibility of the Bible means the Bible is inspired word of god which is hundred percent what we use for every aspect of life but there's some who would interpret the word inerrant to mean there cannot be even a slight detail that's that's different Um, interestingly historical scholars if they find four uh four variations four, four versions of the same story and they're absolutely identical what will they think's happened a copy right and, and so, if they get four versions that are actually slightly different of the same story, that actually leads historical credibility to the story itself. Because that would be typically, normally, the case. So, which is it? Well, I'll let you figure that out. Um, my understanding would be that um, the John story is the same story being referred to in Matthew and Mark. And six days and two days is such a tiny little detail that it's really insignificant. And certainly doesn't affect the story that's being told in the gospel. Now, if you think there's three different anointings, well, that's not really going to change the world, in my view. Um, but let's get into this passage. Um, this story is really an incredible story. Uh, this woman is. Uh, does an incredible thing and, um, and it's a really generous thing. Can you remember a time when someone showed you great generosity? What, what comes to your mind? Can you think of a time when someone's been really generous to you? A couple of stories come to my mind. So, uh, my family's been really generous to me through the years. I'm very thankful for my family. Um, but if I think outside my family, I remember once I traveled as a backpacker to Europe and we went to the city of Edinburgh in Scotland and my, I was travelling with a mate of mine, and he had a work colleague, uh, not really a friend, just a colleague. And his, his work colleague said, my parents live in Edinburgh, and if you go to Edinburgh, they'll, they'll be happy to put you up in their house. So we called them up, Tom and Elsie, and they, uh, they said, yeah, we'd love to have you. Please come, please come. And from the moment we arrived, they just showed us the most extraordinary generosity. They provided us with every meal. They provided us with food and drink and comfy beds. And they drove it, oh, you're going into the city? And we're like, yeah, we'll catch the bus. No, 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 I'll drive you in and then let me know and I'll come and pick you up. All this stuff, they were just really wonderful. They were so generous that when it got to the end of the trip, they said to us, um, look, if you are ever coming through Edinburgh again, uh, we'll show you where the spare key is. And so even if we're not here, just let yourself in and you can stay in our house. So I've got, um, I've got their address here. So I can just let you guys all know, and you can feel free to stay with Tom and Elsie. That was 20 years ago, so I don't know how they were going. They were retired back then. They may not still be there, but anyway, and you can't travel anyway. But um, another time that stands out to me is I've been in ministry about eight years, and a couple who went to the church that I used to go to, they said to me and to the other pastors, we've just seen that you guys are working really hard. And so, we want to bless you guys. Can we take you out for dinner? And we said, yeah, sure. That'd be, that'd be amazing. And they said, actually, we've actually, we're going to get tickets to the Cirque du Soleil for you guys as well. So, we went out for this dinner and then they organized a the transport into Cirque du Soleil. We watched Cirque du Soleil. They organized transport back to the car. And we got home and we we're just like, that's amazing. They did that for no other reason than that they wanted to bless us. And We've been in ministry eight years and no one had done anything. And that was the first really incredible thing. It was like, that's just so beautiful and so generous. And we're so thankful for that. It meant so much to us. This woman, her action in taking this jar of perfume and pouring it over Jesus is an incredible act of generosity. It's just amazing what she does. And if we're going to understand her action, I was trying to think of a way to, to capture this And strangely enough, my my mind travelled and I thought a way of understanding both what this woman did and the context of the whole story could be explained using the game of poker. I'll explain. Um, I got a game of poker for for Christmas, okay? And so don't don't judge me on that. I don't know whether pastors are meant to play poker or not. Um, But then I I had to, you know, like I taught my kids how to play poker so we could play as a family, okay? (laughs) And um we really quite enjoyed that in fact we just had a game this afternoon inspired by my sermon this morning strange application um and so in poker you you have to like look at your cards and figure it out and you have to put the chips in based on how good you think your cards are but there's this thing that you can do if you really think your cards are good or if you really want to bluff them and you go all in And you take everything you have you put the entire game on the line and you push it all in and you say i'm going all in And often when people do that, then they're like pretty excited. They might even jump up out of their seat and they're kind of like waiting for it to happen, or they're just like lean back because it's like, this is it, I'm in. Like, games on the line. I win or I lose in this moment. That is what is happening in this story. Firstly, the chief priests are going all in. For a couple of years they have wanted Jesus dead. But now they are like, we are going all in. This needs to happen now. We are going to make this happen. Jesus is not going to be alive in a week's time. We are going to, ins- we're going to see that he is killed. The, uh, uh, Judas Judas goes all in. And tragically, he goes all in for a pot of 30 pieces of silver. And he trades his relationship with Jesus, potentially eternally, for 30 pieces of silver. What a, what a ridiculous reason to go all in for that. But he does. Uh, the disciples, they are, um, they are not going all in. They're kind of like uh, going check. They don't know what's going on. Jesus has told them three times that he is going to uh, be betrayed into to the hands of sinful people and be crucified, be killed. And they are just like, at every, every, every point, they're just like, you know, they fall asleep in the garden. They, they try to stop it when the soldiers come. They they're they're not, they're, not, they're not going all in. They don't really get what's going on. But Mary goes all in in the most extraordinary way with his act of love and devotion and jesus actually says what she's doing is she's preparing for my burial in advance and what we don't know is was mary actually the only one who's really understood it because the disciples didn't get it they didn't they couldn't comprehend what was going on but mary was probably a close associate of jesus had heard his teaching maybe she is the one who has really listened and got it and she actually anoints him for burial, understanding that he's about to die and thinking, this is the only chance I will have to do this. Because before someone was, after someone had died and before someone was put into a tomb, they would be anointed with a perfume. And so maybe Mary was doing that. Perhaps she was doing it symbolically, it was almost like a prophetic way of anointing him for, for this. Um, but either way, it was an incredibly generous act. The cost of the perfume, it was a pint of pure nard. So a pint is about 500 milliliters. And nard is an amber-coloured essential oil derived from a flowering plant that grows in the Himalayas. You get this? This is something, like in those days they had the spice trade and stuff like that. This is something that has come from the Himalayas. It has come. It is incredibly valuable. Incredibly precious. Um, it, it would have, if it was used at all, they would use a little bit like perfume, just a tiny amount, possibly mixed with some other things. You didn't just pour out the whole lot. It was so valuable that it was often used as a family heirloom. Uh, it was used potentially as a dowry in marriage, as something that would be exchanged to allow an unmarried uh, woman to be married to a man. And potentially, it could have been the dowry that was meant to be there for her wedding. Um, and um, it was also used by families as a store of value. If you could imagine that a family might, um, well, I guess we put it in the bank these days, but perhaps uh, storing it as purchasing gold as a store of value to hide away in a safe or something, or or like investing in Bitcoin or something like that, something secure. Um, uh, What's the most expensive commercially available perfume today? Well, I looked this up, and I discovered it is Clive Christensen's Number one, Imperial Majesty. 500 milliliters of it costs 250000 And they will fly it anywhere in the world to where you are and then deliver it to your door in a Bentley. <laughs> so, you guys who have got girlfriends and that, just remember that. If you're ever really wanting to impress, that's the way to go. Um, that's worth 250000 But this is worth something... Of a similar value more than a year's wages like the average australian wage for a full-time worker now is ninety thousand dollars i don't know if you can believe that but that's true and this is more than a year's wages can you imagine how you would feel if you were there and someone as a way of trying to honor jesus grabbed this perfume worth a hundred thousand dollars and in a moment just poured it out over him would you think it was a waste would you potentially rebuke this woman? Well, that's what the disciples did. And I've got to say this, it's actually something that Christians do all too often is judge other Christians by the way they express their worship or by the way they live out their faith. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands here, but how many of you have ever judged someone because maybe the way they worship is a little bit, you know, like they wave their hands around too much or they dance or they sway too much or they come down the front and get on their nose, on their nose, (laughs) that would be a good trick, Um, on their knees or they break down or they do something and you go, oh gosh, they're a little bit over the top some of us do that sometimes evangelical more conservative christians judge charismatic christians we say oh it's all about emotionalism you know they've got a very thin thin faith It's just emotionalism but meanwhile the 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 conservatives are here and they're judging the charismatics going hold on no that's the way i did it but the charismatics are judging the conservatives going oh you know they don't have the spirit you know i heard this person say to me once many years ago the lady wasn't a pastor or anything she said to me The Holy Spirit has left the Anglican Church. I'm like, really? The Holy Spirit has left a denomination with hundreds of millions of people. He's just like, said, oh, that's it, I'm out of here. Really? That is ridiculous. And just a terrible thing to say. And then you get fundamentalists and and they just judge everyone. So (laughs) um, there's a lot of judging can happen. Why Why do we judge others? Often it's out of pride. We think we're better than another person. And also the other thing is it's out of fear, pride or fear. We had a men's event, as Nick said, on Tuesday night. And the guy who spoke was a guy called Richard Garland, who is a pastor, but he went through a journey. He was an African-American guy, grew up in America in a terribly tragic kind of circumstance. His life ended up being a life of addiction, imprisonment, and out of that God saved him. And then he went on a long journey. Uh, It wasn't like click and everything was perfect, but a long journey to actually... Uh, overcoming his addiction and then now he's a pastor who goes into prisons to minister to people suffering many of the problems that he went through awesome story and and we were at the pub and uh it was meant to be an interview so we set up two chairs and and we'd sorted this out i would interview him and i had all my questions ready to go so i asked my first question you know richard can you tell us about your childhood and paint a picture of it and he, he sort of responds and goes actually can i sing a song i was like Sure. And so he stands up and he starts singing a song. He's in a pub in front of a room full of people he doesn't know where the doors are open and other people in the pub can probably hear him singing. And he sings this beautiful hymn. Now, twice I've forgotten the name of it. uh, Because he lives. Because he lives. You're here this morning. Well done. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And he just sings this song. And he's a cappella, just no instruments. And he's singing, and he doesn't care what anyone thinks. And he doesn't care because God has touched his life so much. It's like in the Luke version of this story, and it probably was a different occasion. But Luke tells this story about, about two people. He says, he says to Simon, who gets upset about the woman who's anointing Jesus' feet and washing them with um, her tears and with her hair, and he says, Simon, imagine there were two people. And one of them owed, owed a man, like let's just say $1,000, and the other, the other person owed him $100,000. And then the person who was owed money came along and said to both of them, hey guys, I forgive your debts, I cancel your debts. He says, which one would love him more? He says, well, the person who, whose debt had been forgiven more. He says, well, that's true. He says, that's what this woman... she's she's been forgiven much. Those who have been forgiven much love much. And I want to say about this, you have been forgiven much, and I have been forgiven much. And you may not have some testimony, and I don't personally have some testimony of huge rebellion and and going through all sorts of addiction and all this kind of stuff. And in fact, that's probably because I was blessed to be raised in a loving, caring, supportive family. But I know in my heart, I needed the grace and forgiveness of God and I have been forgiven much. And this woman had been forgiven much. And sometimes we need to be more worried about what Jesus thinks than what other people think. This woman comes into a setting where it's all men and it is significant that it is a woman in a table which would have only been men around the table and they treat her harshly and speak to her harshly because of what she does. But she's not really worried about that. The only person she's worried about is Jesus, and she wants to bless him. And and too often we are worried about what other people think, not about what Jesus thinks. And we're worried about maybe being a Christian seems foolish. And do you know what? Being a Christian is always going to be foolish, and the Bible tells us it will. That is how we will be perceived. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. If we can bring up that scripture, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in the next passage it says, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then in verse 26, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And sometimes we spend so much time trying not to be foolish and trying to come across as wise, but actually it was the foolish things of the world who God used to turn the world upside down in the early church. Because they just said, we're followers of Jesus. You think I'm a fool? You think I'm an idiot? You want to mock me? You want to insult me? Well, I'm just taking a stand and saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm about. Mm -hmm. This woman comes in and she says, I am just going to show my devotion to Jesus in an extravagant act of worship. There's a story in the Old Testament about King David often considered the greatest king who ever lived, a very flawed man as well, and a man who had a, a terrible story of sin in his life. But before that, he, uh, there was a time when they were bringing um, the Ark of the Covenant, which was this box that contained the Ten Commandments, and they were bringing it into the Temple of Jerusalem. And they had a huge procession, and everyone from the city was lined up to see this uh, coming into the city. And David, who was the king, got so inspired and so excited that he started dancing in front of the procession, basically in his underwear. And he just starts worshipping God and jumping around and dancing. And he gets home and his daughter, uh, the daughter of Saul in fact, comes out and says, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar person would. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become even more undignified than this. And I don't know when wasn't the last time you got undignified because of your faith and you actually did something that was undignified in the eyes of other people just because of your love of Jesus. But when you were doing that, that's probably the place where Jesus goes, that is true worship. Now, giving is an interesting thing. There's a thing which is the giving equation, that the, the value of a gift that you give, or the value of a gift that gets given, is determined on the value of the giver, the value of the occasion, and the value of the recipient. So if you've got, if you've got a, a, a wealthy person on a special occasion giving to someone who they value very highly, they're probably going to give a pretty good gift, right? But if you've got someone who is, is not, doesn't have a lot of value, a poorer person who's giving on an insignificant occasion to someone they don't really care about, the gift's not going to be as good. Would that be fair to say? And, and this woman follows that to some extent because she realizes the incredible value of the recipient of Jesus and she realizes the value of the occasion but there's nothing we, we would understand in this woman to think that she was a very, valuable, a very wealthy person. And yet what she gives is all that she has, just because she loved Jesus. And I think like some Christians seem to just love to be with God, love to serve God, love to pray to God, love to give to God, love to worship God, and it's a joy to them. And I see some Christians for whom it seems to be a bit of a chore. How terrible if following Jesus is becomes a chore surely god wants to touch your life if that's the case and remind you of his incredible grace and love for you and change your approach um so jesus defends this woman he says leave her alone and then he says two beautiful things i'm going to finish by talking about the two things jesus says firstly he says this in in verse 8 he says uh, five amazing words she did what she could she did what she could and I want to say that that, that kind of when I get to the end of my my life I don't think we're going to have a tombstone but if I had a tombstone I would be happy very happy I would like written on it he did what he could not he was a, a great preacher or he was an inspirational leader or he achieved these things I would just like to have written he did what he could and in our whole life, you can, you can go about your life and you can actually look at other people and think, well, this person can do more than me, or this person has this gift, or this person has this role or whatever. And we can actually get really down on ourselves and think, what do I have to offer? There's many people in this room right now who probably feel that way, honestly. What do I have to offer? What what can I give? What can I do? Someone else, you know, whatever. They do this, they do that. But you know what? We are not called to be anyone else or do what anyone else is called to do. We are just called to do what we can do. And if at the end of your life it could be said of you that he did what he could, that she did what she could, that would be an amazing thing. And secondly, he tells this story about, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. Now, what I love about this and what I think is most important is not that her story gets remembered for 2,000 years, it's that her story gets forever remembered and connected to Jesus' story. The gospel is Jesus' story, but now because of her act of generosity and extravagant worship, her story has forever been entwined with jesus story what better thing could there be in life that you could go through life and at the end of the life your life you could look back and say my story became entwined and connected with jesus story i've been blessed to experience some people who have shown extraordinary generosity just this week i had lunch with a ceo of a a not-for-profit christian organization who do Wonderful, wonderful work. And he was telling me a story about how uh, he's going through a stage where they're doing a major fundraiser for a, for a building, a uh, new building that they've uh, purchased. And he, someone gave them a really generous donation of $100,000. And so he wrote a letter of thanks to the donor of, of this gift. The only problem is he sent the letter to uh, the wrong person. And he sent it to a couple who were... Um, Uh, pensioners and so they got this letter saying thank you for your gift of a hundred thousand dollars and so they called him up and said look you've made a mistake that that wasn't us and he's like oh i'm so sorry yep really apologize they said look but come for lunch we'd like to talk to you anyway so they came he went over there for lunch and they said you know what we love the work you're doing so we're going to give you a gift of a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars which is really amazing So I've I've kind of put that in the back of my mind, next time we do a building program I'm going to send everyone in the church a letter (laughs) saying thank you for your incredible gift. Anyway, uh, we also um, have been, a few years ago, did a kind of a a foundational fundraising drive towards a piece of land we want to buy and a building we want to build for the Verdun congregation and I should say if anyone is tracking with that, unfortunately we had some Poor news because we were this week we were tracking towards being just about to buy, we thought, a piece of land in an agreement with an organisation and it was really exciting. And we found out this week that it's um, the door's closed and it's not happening. But a couple of years ago we did a big fundraiser towards that just to build a foundational fund. I was amazed when I discovered that the people that gave the most generous gift to that fund are a couple who will never actually worship in that church. But they were so inspired by the idea of blessing others that they decided to give an incredible gift that would fund something that they won't actually be a part of. So when God gets hold of people's lives, it inspires them to want to leave a legacy. And legacy doesn't have to be a financial thing. It can be in the way you serve, in the way you love. It can be in the way you listen. It can be in the way you care. It can be the way you give your time. There's so many different ways. But all of us have an opportunity, and you guys have an amazing opportunity, to live your lives in such a way that you leave leave a legacy for future generations. And I've got to tell you, looking around at most young adults, as most of you are, most young adults today aren't living to leave a legacy. They're living to have the greatest amount of pleasure in the shortest time possible. But you guys have an opportunity to live your lives in such a way that you leave a legacy that blesses future generations. So I don't know what you take out of this message, but I think it's for me. It is a joy to go all in for Jesus. It's not like the Bible says, "Don't, don't be, don't be a a grumbling giver." And I don't think any giving, whether that's serving in the band or serving coffee or being on the door or serving in, in in caring for someone or loving someone or listening to someone or giving someone a phone call to show them care, any kind of serving or giving shouldn't be done out of like this attitude of grumbling. The Bible says it should be done out of joy. And I reckon that as you you start to be a giver in your life, you actually discover it is a joy to give. It is a joy to bless others. It is a joy ultimately to bless Jesus. So going all in is a great joy. Secondly, I spoke about not judging others based on the way they live out their faith. Third thing, caring more about what Jesus thinks than what people around you think. Fourth, doing what you can. And fifth, leaving legacy my prayer is that you'll take something out of that one of those five things maybe speaks to you and blesses you tonight amen let me pray band can come up heavenly father i want to thank you for this beautiful and incredible woman and uh women of faith uh we are so blessed to have great women of faith in this church and i want to encourage particularly i'm sort of praying preaching now suddenly i don't know um I'm thankful for the women in our church and I'm thankful for their faith and, I, and I'm just thankful that they can have a place in this church to use their gifts and uh, Lord, we are blessed by this incredible story of a courageous and bold woman who was courageous enough to step into a situation where she risked the scorn and the insults of a group of men because she wanted to bless Jesus and I pray that whether we are men or women we would have the boldness to do that for Jesus' glory and in his name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.